I have something, I'm not gonna call it a confession, but I'm gonna reveal something about myself that you may not know. I love these trashy television shows that really get into like the, the selling shows. I don't know if you've seen them on Netflix. So there's like Selling Sunset, Selling the OC, Selling Paris. I absolutely love these shows. There, it, it could ostensibly be about real estate, but really it's just about this crazy drama between people. It's about money, power, sex. That's all it is. And what I wanna say is today's text is exactly the same. It is all about money, power, and sex. I'm gonna tell you how, and I'm gonna tell you how this drama unfolds in such a way that we may too come to understand some ways that we can deal with adversity in our lives. You ready? Okay, so here's a little secret on how I prepare for my preaching. For a story that's as complex as this, I try to find the lesson that it teaches to one of those particular characters. Instead of trying to tell you about everybody, I just wanna pick one so that you can understand how to break things down in a more manageable way. And when somebody preaches, you wanna have something that people can take home in their pocket. That's what I'm always working with. Not something, you don't wanna give them like something they need luggage for because a luggage full of info just means you're not gonna remember it. But something you can keep in your pocket winds up being something that you can check in on from time to time. It can travel with you. And today's assigned text, while it's really complicated, it's part of a really complex history with warring factions in the Holy Land, which we've heard about before. Truly, much of the Bible is about warring factions in the Holy Land, by the way. So when you can't see immediate answers to the deep and profound conflicts that we have right now in the Holy Land, even today, I want you to understand this. They didn't either. So I'm gonna give you a teensy tiny and over, oversimplified and nerdy moment um, on the context of today's scripture. I did a little bit earlier so that you could hear it, but now I'm gonna make sure everybody else can do it too. Uh, on this operatic, soap operatic story of King Solomon. Even in Jesus's time, his people, the Jews, were living under Roman occupation, right? Centuries before, when his ancestors appeared in the Holy Land, they went to war with the people who were already living there. And in the years before Solomon was born, his father, David, the ruler of Jewish Judah, was at war with the leadership of Jewish Israel. They were two different states, okay? South versus North, a civil war, if you will. So we come to this story after all that, and after David unified Israel in the North and Judah in the South into one unified kingdom under his rule. This is a big deal. I just, you know, a lot of times we don't have a lot of biblical literacy, so I'm just trying to offer this to you, okay? So eventually, after 40 years, David died. So he had 40 years of rule. Now, David was, let's just say, 
here's the sex part of the story, very prolific in spreading his seed. He had a lot of kids. <laughs> and the conflict we see in this text is between Adonijah, who's David's fourth son, who's very ambitious, and the son who David had already promised the throne to, Solomon. And that promise came thanks to Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, which is how it's pronounced, by the way. We always say Bathsheba, but if you ever meet some, a Jewish woman named Bathsheba, it's Bathsheba, okay? So here we go. Bathsheba. And so Bathsheba and a priest named Nathan had advocated on Solomon's behalf. But what had happened was Adonijah had already built up these factions of support, and you hear that in the text today, and these factions became fault lines in the Jewish priesthood, by the way, at least until Jesus' time. Like, these are big conflicts, right? And that's 900 years later. So this seemingly simple request that Adonijah makes through Solomon's mama, which I'm going to come back to in a minute, to marry, now here's what you might not have known, to marry David's ex-concubine, Abisha. See how this is all going? That wasn't cool. Because marrying somebody's concubine at the time, that was a power move. And everybody knew how much she loved David and how much he loved her, and she was with David until his dying breath. And I'd imagine that, here's the thing, Bathsheba, she would have known that. So I'm not so clear on why she went ahead and approached Solomon with this request at all, right? But here's my guess, knowing how savvy this woman was, knowing that she was just a brilliant political operative, I think she didn't think that she could say no. It's not so easy for a woman to say no to a man in any context, and I think that it was no different back then. So she knew that Adonijah had the military behind him, and saying no could topple her, her son, from the throne immediately. But saying yes, she could appear an ally. But she would have known full and well that her, little, her son was not going to go with this. He wouldn't go for that union. So Solomon's position, it was so fragile still at the time. You know, people wanted, he had a bunch of brothers. It was just too fragile for him to make that kind of mistake. Bathsheba would have known that. Okay. So that is your background. Do you have the story in your head more or less? Okay. So how does this preach? <laughs> what can we glean from and learn from this story? I think there are all kinds of lessons here. And when I decided to preach this text, I picked it because I wanted to talk to you about Solomon's wisdom, how he didn't let himself get tricked. He didn't fall into a trap, how he was playing chess and not checkers, how he didn't go with the easy solution but thought it out long term, even if that came at risk. But then I realized, well, wait a minute, Solomon then went on to plot and to kill Adonijah and murder, I mean, especially these days, I'm not interested in glorifying it. I 
am losing tolerance for any solution that involves someone else's death or suffering. And I'm just not okay with any of that. So I'm not gonna tell you to be like Solomon in this case. Thou shalt not murder, thou art your brother's keeper, okay? So I'm not gonna glorify Solomon's wisdom here. To the winner goes the spoils. You've heard enough of Solomon, but you probably haven't heard about Adonijah, right? So we see who it all worked out for. Good for him. Instead, I want to focus on Adonijah's lessons here because they're important, especially as we look into our own futures, especially as we evaluate our own conflicts. And I'm gonna get right to the point. I believe that Adonijah's biggest mistake was that he triangulated he misled. He went all around Solomon's back as a treasonous coward. And that backfired. It backfired big time. I don't know, this is conjecture, but it might could have been. If he had gone differently about this, he might have lived to tell the story. He underestimated everyone. He went about it in such a cowardly fashion, and none of this ended up in his favor because he was wrong about how he went about it. Moreover, his biggest move to get to the throne was through the attempted manipulation of these women. Ain't that typical? Adonijah thought he could seize David's ex, right? Pit her against David's widow and win the game. Nowhere does it mention that he asked Abisha's consent in this matter. And I guess he was like his daddy in that way. And then he did what women all over the world in this room, everywhere, experience every day. He took a look at the beautiful Bathsheba, and he didn't consider her incredibly successful political maneuvering or her in intense drive for her survival or her unlikely rise to power, very significant power. No, he didn't think about any of that. He didn't see it. No, what he saw was what I and so many of you experience on the daily a pawn in the game. Or if I'm to stick with my analogy, a piece on the checkers board to be stepped over and captured and set aside. And you know what? Too bad for him because Bathsheba was playing a whole different game as we do, right? Underestimating her, that cost him his life. So what is the lesson for us today? As far as I know, none of us wants to be a king, right? But I have a few things I want us to take home. Number one, take people seriously, everyone, especially the people who you think don't matter. Number two, don't let ambition put everything you care about at risk. Be ambitious for sure, but when our ambitions 
require sacrificing someone else, then there's something wrong with that. And not only will it backfire, but it could cost us everything. It could cost us our souls. Number three, be honest. Lies have a way of getting out of hand. Number four, operate in the daylight. Back rooms don't work because they miss helpful perspectives more than anything else. Daylight is beautiful. Number five, don't triangulate. Things might have gone differently if Adonijah had a conversation with his brother rather than hiding behind someone else. And I don't know about you, but for me, these are helpful lessons. This is an interesting time of year in the church because our texts are leading up to Christ the King Sunday or the Reign of Christ Sunday, which is the end of the church year. That's the end of this month, okay? Last Sunday of November. And at that time, we celebrate the kind of ruler that Jesus became, and it's a really wonderful time to contrast whatever forms of leadership we encounter in this world with what Jesus did, which was perfect. And you should know that Christ the King didn't pull any of that mess that Adonijah did. Instead, he just lived his life. He lived into the calling of his life. He took on his portion. He carried out his appointed task. And if we are to follow in Jesus' footsteps, then that's what we have to do too. Look, I have known any number of Adonijahs. So have you. And God, I pray that I will never be one myself. But those people in my Wharton classes who took, cut out the little required classes from the library book but, so that we couldn't re get our reading, um, the ones who would look past us and cut us off or discount us or put us in impossible positions with no support, talk and plot for our demise behind our backs and do us wrong, know this, they end up doing this because they're trying to step outside of their appointment. That's what's going on. People plot and trick on the sideline to harm people because they want to live outside of the assignment that God has given them, but that's not of God. Because when you live inside your assignment, God will provide. That is God's promise. And if God has called you to it, God is going to give you the tools to do it, okay? Trust that. It's that simple. So what do you do if you face all that? All I can say is listen to Jesus, because his advice to the disciples when they were facing the very same thing was to be wise as serpent, but gentle as dove. Be wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. So yes, you wanna plan thoroughly and you wanna plan well, but if we harm someone, 
in the way, on the way, then we're not carrying out Jesus' assignment. Wise as serpents, gentle as doves. Anything else is a drain on your energy and a waste of your time because no matter what, no matter what our designs, God's will will always prevail. And the lesson of our faith is this. When God's will prevails, that's actually good news. And when you struggle with any of this, just pray the words that Jesus taught you. Thy will be done. It's Marathon Sunday, and I look at the miracle and the inspiration of all these people who have been training for this moment. Marathons mean so much to people because they take preparation, but they also take time. And when they get to the end, the reward is great. You, my friends, are on a marathon. Imagine yourself rounding the corner and coming into Central Park with just a mile left to go. God's will is that you make it to the end victorious. It's happening, friends. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this element of worship. We are so grateful that you have entrusted the park with this moment to hear music, to listen to the word of God, whatever it may be. And we just ask for your support. The park only functions with the generous donations of people like you. And 100% of your donation goes to the incredible ministries of this church, which give and give and give again. Thank you for the ways that you give in advance and for all that you might be ready to give in the future. God bless you and amen.